Let us pray. Oh, my Lord, won't you send your power down that our ears may hear what we need to hear, our minds learn what we need to learn, our hearts feel what we need to feel, and our souls be lifted up by your word. Amen. Please be seated. I was first asked to preach at this Eucharist several months ago, if you can believe that. It tells you something about how far in advance the academic administration team prepares for August term. But anyhow, I thought to myself, what a privilege to speak to the community at that moment, particularly to the new members of the community. It will be right as we transition from August term into fall semester. You know, the excitement is still in the air. The anticipation is high. So I was, needless to say, delighted to accept the invitation. And then, you know where I'm going with this. I read the gospel lesson for the evening. (laughs) It was predictable, but got a good laugh. And I thought, who decided that I should be the one to tell the new people about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth? (laughs) But nevertheless, here I am to deliver in all seriousness a sobering message. How could it not be sobering when Professor Jesus has made the stakes so high in this short course from Matthew's Gospel on remaining spiritually awake? You see, Jesus is the most senior member of the administration. Sorry, Dean Markham. I see Dean Markham in the corner. And he's the most impressive member of the faculty. He's in a class all by himself, and therefore he doesn't care anything about accreditation. He's not concerned about requirements and electives. He doesn't go to academic conferences. He doesn't have a publication to his name. But Professor Jesus has a pedagogy, a style of teaching, a way of reaching us that is beyond compare and cannot be ignored. It's that Jesus, the one who instructs us as individuals and as the church that Matthew's gospel wants us to encounter. And Jesus has dropped by this evening for an encounter before we become too preoccupied with the frenzy of the academic year. He's come by to make sure that our priorities are in order. Now hear me loud and clear because I don't want to get in trouble. He doesn't have anything against writing papers, conducting research, doing group projects, studying for exams, publishing books. No, no, I am certain that these are precious in his sight. And I believe he would be the first to say that there is a virtuous cycle wherein our academic work supports our work in the broader arena of life. 
and the work in that broader arena of life gives special purpose and meaning to our scholastic endeavors. But he also knows us intimately and realizes how easy it can be for us to be distracted and pulled off course, especially when we are stressed and overwhelmed. And so he challenges us in that way that only he has with a statement that seems so over the top, a statement about what will happen to the bad slave or in some translations, servant, a statement about what will happen to those who lose sight of their higher priorities, saying, the master of that slave will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I hear those words and I tend to get hung up on them as a punishment for me or for anybody else. Perhaps you do as well. You know, the slave beat up his peers and got drunk with his buddies. Okay, not good. But getting cut in pieces and thrown into a place of torment for that? It sounds like something from a gangster movie. I mean, the punishment appears completely out of proportion to the offense. Indeed, it seems meant to indicate not simply that actions have consequences but to send a much more terrifying and brutal message. Jesus is trying to wake us up and shake us up with that gut-level reaction to his words when we think of them as potential punishment. But perhaps he does this because he wants us never to forget that already there is weeping and gnashing of teeth seen and heard daily throughout this troubled world. We can hear it coming from Syria. We can hear it coming from Yemen. We can hear it coming from the Rohingya people. Any of us could go on to name other places where the despair is high right now. But we need not go to countries that are racked with war. Just take a little trip around this thriving metropolis of ours. It is such a prosperous and economically vital area with so much wealth and power, but you don't have to go very far before you come across a brother or sister who's crying out for just a little something to eat, or someone, who doesn't, someone else who doesn't have enough fare to get them home on the metro, or someone else who's lost a loved one, loved one to the barrel of a gun, or someone else who's been thrown out by their parents because they're trans or someone else whose despair has left them vulnerable to the ravages of addiction of one kind or another. These experiences are brutal and terrifying for the people who are going through them. It is unconscionable the level of poverty and insecurity and violence that we countenance in this land overflowing with dollar signs and the gap between the haves and the have-nots getting bigger and bigger all the time. And lest you get it twisted, I'm not assuming that everyone under the sound of my voice right now has been free of these kinds of experiences because it is quite possible that somebody here has been through some of what I'm talking about. Oh, but you and I know that this is not the end of the story. For it is into this world of struggle and woe that our Savior steps, bringing his truth and love and healing. And he's stopped by this evening to teach us that in this world of struggle and woe, he's got some work for us to do, real work 
and lives of real flesh and real bone to be done without delay. We dare not overlook the fact that the servants in tonight's parables were stewards of their Lord's possessions. The one who missed the mark was the one who neglected his responsibility to use what had been given for the benefit of those around him. And do you know what this means? It means that it's not simply a nice, warm, and fuzzy idea that we should take care of others. It's the primary reason God gives us anything to begin with. That's why I'm grateful for our Office of Church and Community Engagement and all of the opportunities that Dr. Gortner and his team provide us to engage with the surrounding community. Yes, God gives us real gifts, to do real work for real people in a world that is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. For a moment, just turn the page in your mind's eye to Matthew 25, when Jesus teaches about the coming of the Son of Man to judge the nations. And he says to the righteous, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous say, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And he answers them, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. I don't know about you, but I don't think this is some sort of standardized test of obedience. It's not like feeding the hungry plus healing the sick plus visiting prisoners equals salvation. No, he's saying to us, there are some things that obviously need to be done. Get on with it. I've given you the power to feed and to clothe and to heal in my name. Get on with it. Yes, friends, I say it again, God gives us real gifts to do real work for real people as part of the unfolding of this good creation. Now, I fully admit I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not telling you anything that you haven't heard before and that you don't already try to live by. But as we settle into the academic year, and the amazing resources of this institution. As we bask in the intellectual gifts that are all around us, and as we probably get a little stressed and a little overwhelmed, my prayer is that individually and as a body, perhaps especially as a body, we will not be distracted from discerning the work that God has given us to do in such a time as this, with the blessings that God has so richly provided. For that work helps to still the weeping and gnashing of teeth. That work shows the world that our Lord and our faith really are alive. And that work helps to make us truly whole. And let the church, the body of Christ, not cut into pieces, but whole and gathered together in love to do our work. Let the church say, Amen. Amen.